Hello and welcome to the Full Fact Podcast, where we tackle dishonesty, untruths and misrepresentation in politics and the media. I'm Alexis Conran and I'll be talking about the biggest stories of the week with independent and impartial fact checkers from the Full Fact team. This week uh, has been dominated by talk of herd immunity. And before we get into the bits and pieces, what is herd immunity? Well, Full Fact CEO Will Moy is here with me. Will, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, Will, uh, herd immunity is a very odd thing. And I think we should explain it before we get into the nitty gritty of uh, why we're talking about it this week, which will become apparent, of course. But let's talk about herd immunity itself. What is it? Herd immunity is a scientific term, and it describes the point at which a population is protected from a disease because either enough people have been vaccinated or developed antibodies to the disease. And people will be protected because the proportion of those who aren't immune is too small for the disease to continue to spread throughout the population. Okay, now we know what it is. Let's look at why we're talking about it. The reason behind it is, of course, a certain chief advisor to the Prime Minister, Dominic Cummings. He gave seven hours of evidence on Wednesday to two select committees. And one of the main stories was this dispute about the government having pursued herd immunity as their primary strategy at the very beginning of the pandemic. We're talking about the herd immunity plan. The Cabinet Secretary said, Prime Minister, you should go on TV tomorrow and explain to people the herd immunity plan and that it's like the old chickenpox parties. It gets very tricky when you talk about herd immunity because obviously we are still pursuing herd immunity using the vaccinations. Any pandemic is going to be brought to an end by some form of herd immunity. But am I right in thinking that what the nub of it is, are you pursuing herd immunity through vaccination and shielding of the vulnerable or are you pursuing herd immunity? And I think this is what Dominic Cummings was alluding to by just letting the virus rip through the population unheeded. Well, I think that's exactly the problem. This debate is happening and people mean different things by herd immunity at different times. We're not talking about that scientific definition of herd immunity. So in a sense, there was a choice that Dominic Cummings was referring to between letting the virus spread and dealing with the consequences of that and reaching a point where herd immunity was uh, gradually reached or entering lockdowns and trying to suppress the virus. And that set of alternatives, obviously from a spectrum alternatives, is what the debate is about. And Dominic Cummings has claimed on Twitter and in parliamentary committees on Wednesday that the government initially pursued a strategy of herd immunity before dramatically switching course in mid-March last year. Now, also a number of people on social media, including Labour MP Chris Bryant, have recently shared footage of Boris Johnson's March appearance on This Morning. Uh, as supposed evidence of this policy of herd immunity. Let's have a little listen to the clip that is being shared. And one of the theories is that you could sort of take it on the chin, take it all in one go and allow the disease, as it were, to move through the population. But, Will, things aren't quite as they seem when you just listen to that clip taken out of context. That's right. This is one of those awkward kind of fact checks we get from time to time where uh, somebody has said something 
and they've said it in a context and people need to make their own minds up about that context. And the kinds of fact checks we generally write there are writing out a transcript of the entire thing and letting people make their own minds up about what it, what it means. What happened is that back on the 5th of March last year, the Prime Minister was interviewed on ITV's This Morning. That's exactly around the time that Dominic Cummings is saying we're making big choices. There's a sudden change in government policy coming up. In the interview, Boris Johnson discussed the different strategies which could have been pursued in response to the pandemic. And soon afterwards, thousands and thousands of people started sharing a clip which appeared to show the Prime Minister saying we should take it on the chin and allow the disease to move through the population. But that was clipped out of the longer interview and took the comments out of their wider context. He was discussing the different theories of tackling the virus and also mentioned more, quote, draconian measures such as cancelling public events or closing schools. Later in the interview, he also said it would be better if we take all the measures that we can now to stop the peak of the disease. If you just take those isolated clips out of context, it sounds like he's coming down firmly on one side, whereas actually he's talked about a range of options. And actually he's said explicitly, we need to take all the measures that we can now. So this is one of those things where you really need to see the whole thing and make your own mind up about it rather than just look at the very catchy social media clips. When looking back at uh, everything that came out of uh, Dominic Cummings' seven-hour committee hearings, how much of it was actually fact-checkable? Not a lot. <laughs> what, what... <laughs> we always have to remember the limits of fact-checking, and um, fact-checking relies on publicly available sources. We don't take anonymous tips from WhatsApp messages from within government telling us, oh, this is definitely what happened in the room yesterday. We rely on things that you can check for yourselves. And in the context of government, this is why truth-finding institutions are so important that can actually go into government and find private information, private documents, and check them. We have that in finance. We have the National Audit Office that does that. We have the Office for Budget Responsibility that does that. We don't have that here. We don't have an independent body that can go in and look at this. And until we have the coronavirus inquiry, we won't get that kind of revelation of what officially was said in a reliable way. We just have to rely on what the news reports are. Well, how would that actually work, though? Because one thing that struck me quite a lot uh, from listening to Dominic Cummings is how much of government business is done on WhatsApp. And there was a moment uh, as well when uh, Jeremy Hunt, or I I think it might have been Greg Clark, actually, was asking for certain text messages, for certain evidence uh, concerning the integrity of the health secretary. And you saw uh, Dominic Cummings, I think the phrase came out of his mouth, saying, I'm not going to hand over my phone to you. So... How would you go about properly fact-checking things like text messages, communications, conversations? How would that actually work? Well, I think it's outside the realm of fact-checking, but how do you make that accountable? The Freedom of Information Act requires that government business is available under FOI requests. And that includes messages sent on people's personal mobile phones if they're doing government business. The idea that somebody can work in government at the highest levels of government and just say, no, I have this conversation, it determines the fate of millions of other people, but it's none of your business, is laughable. The idea that we would put up with that for a second is ridiculous. The question is just how do you sort out the mechanics of it? In this particular case, though, we can go back and look at what government ministers and advisors said publicly at the time, and we can see what indications there were that the government may have pursued some measures based on the idea of herd immunity. We can get some context from public remarks that throw some light on this. 
But the actual digging into what government did do is going to require powers well beyond those that fact checkers have. Let's move on to uh, what we briefly touched on last week. Elsewhere in the government, communications have also been under scrutiny. We talk about mixed messages over foreign travel in our last week's podcast. But this week, the mixed messages concern very much more local issues, particularly local travel. Uh, The government website was updated last Friday, so on the day that our podcast came out. And it advised people in Bolton, Blackburn, Kirklees, Bedford, Burnley, Leicester, Hounslow, and North Tyneside not to travel outside their areas if it was for non-essential reasons. But this wasn't really accompanied by any government statements and the advice went unnoticed by most residents of those councils until Monday. The advice has now been amended to simply limit non-essential travel. It's the same old story, isn't it, Will? We've seen this too many times in the pandemic and it's not good enough. However much sympathy you may have for people who will be working very long hours under great stress with huge responsibilities, something broke down here. Full facts seen these problems time and again, and we've warned about them. It was a theme of our report in 2021. We highlighted systematic problems with state infrastructure, which led to failings by government and public bodies to communicate vital messages to the public effectively. And for that reason, we have called for a parliamentary inquiry into the oversight of government communications, something to actually look at how government communications are managed, whether they are serving the public properly, how they are being protected from being politicised, as they frequently have been. And we need that kind of oversight. We need to recognise that government communications serve us all. Over the weekend, they disastrously failed to serve people in parts of the country. Well, thank you, as always, for giving us all your time. Uh, Will Moy, CEO of Full Fact, thank you. Thank you very much. Now, for this week's episode's edition of Media Watch, we're joined by fact-checker Leo Benedictus, who has been scouring all the papers from The Independent to The Sun, investigating a phenomenon he calls headlines. Leo, hello and welcome to the podcast. Can you explain to us what headlines actually are? I mean, is this a word that you've actually invented during your fact check? Hi, Alexis. Yes, it is. I've actually invented this word. And it's 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 a word I've been wanting to invent for a long time because it's a problem we've seen for a very long time. But it's a, it has been something that's been a bit slippery to talk about. You ask what an headline is. And in the simplest terms, it is a headline which does not accurately reflect the article that goes with it. That is a real problem because very, very often the headline, as I'm sure you'll know from your own experience, all of us will know from our experience, the headline is often the only thing people read. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you read a headline and it isn't really what the article says, you'll never know. And you'll take away whatever the headline has told you and and may well think it's true when actually it isn't. And how prevalent is this problem? Do you see it mainly online? Do you see it in print? We see this everywhere. It's very prevalent. It's something that has cropped up over and over and over again. It's been, I think, a a slightly elusive problem for fact checkers for a while because sometimes the headline might contradict the article, but then the the detail and the various nuances of of, of the actual story can get extremely complicated, become too time consuming to go into. But in very simple terms, if the article says one thing and the headline describing it says another, then that can't be right. You know, that, that is clearly misleading. And we, we see examples of this 
probably several times a week, every week. They're everywhere, uh, including and social media, of course, is a, is a big part of this. When you're scrolling through Facebook or Twitter or something, then you'll very often be seeing just the headline that appears to open with the link mm. that people have shared. And if you just keep scrolling, then that's all you'll ever see. Now, obviously, as you mentioned, it's the headline that gets the click, that gets the eyeballs, that gets the money, essentially, for when you're talking about people reading stuff online. Can you give us some examples of some good headlines? There's one in the sun uh, from September last year, which says, snore off. If you snore, you could be three times more likely to die of coronavirus, docs warn. Although it's not about snoring. It's about people who have obstructive sleep apnea, which is a condition that can cause snoring, but is only one of the things that can cause snoring. So the point here is the headline, if you snore, you could be three times more likely to die of coronavirus, is really misleading if, if that's all you see. Because loads of people snore who don't have obstructive sleep apnea and this doesn't affect them. They might be worried completely without reason, or at least because there's no scientific research saying that they're at risk. So again, there's a there's a really important bit of context there, which I can understand maybe why headline writers don't want to put the phrase obstructive sleep apnea <laughs> into their headlines. But, you know, it is a very, very important detail. If people want to understand the truth of what's going on, it really matters. We see many other examples, many other examples as well. And this one in The Independent, which said, France sees 70 cases linked to schools days after the reopening. And you may remember last May, we were just kind of beginning to come out of lockdown. So was much of the rest of Europe. They were a little bit ahead of us. And whether or not opening schools was going to be safe was a huge subject of, of widespread concern in every country. Parents, I think, were often very concerned about whether it would be safe to send their children back to school. This is a really important subject. And actually, that headline suggests there was a big problem. France has just opened its schools and they were seeing 70 cases linked to them. But actually, if you then read the whole article, you had to go a certain way down this article. This was based on comments and data coming out of France. And the French health minister said it was likely that these people were actually infected before schools reopened. In other words, pretty important bit of context right. there, which is that these aren't people getting infected from schools, teachers or pupils. They're people who were already infected, but then schools reopened and those infections were noticed. So it's not really, it's very misleading to say that these are cases linked to the schools. They happened before anyone was in the school. Is there been a lot of research done into how many people actually read an entire article? How many people make it past the headline yeah it's hard to get a really solid handle on that obviously because we're not monitoring everybody's behavior but there, there has been a bit of research on this in in 2014 a study of american adults found that 58 percent did not watch read or hear any news beyond the headlines in the previous week so that's most of the people they were looking at literally didn't look at a single thing past the headlines at any point in the entire week so, I mean, even some of the others probably at least some of the time weren't looking beyond headlines. And I think it's pretty obvious, you know, to, to all of us that that's how we use headlines. Headlines are there like a menu to you can scan across them, see what you find interesting and then choose what to read. Of course, you don't see uh, don't read the whole article behind every headline and you see a lot that you don't read. So, yeah, no, I think it's a it's a really important problem. People very often are getting their news information based on headlines only. And when those headlines are headlines and they're misleading because the editor has summarized the article in a misleading way, then, then they're being misinformed. 
Okay. Uh, Leah, as always, thank you for your time. Leah Benedictus there. And now we want you to send us in the best headlines that you find out in the wild. And we want you to tag us in them on social media at Full Fact and then hashtag headlines. That's E-D-L-I-N-E-S. Headlines as in the editor who changes the title of the article who takes control of what the headline should be those are the headlines so if you find some great ones somewhere where the headline completely contradicts the body of the article send it over to us tag us on social media and uh, we'll look into it of course now it is time to introduce a new feature on this series uh, the creatively titled i can't believe they fact-checked it Uh, The fact-checking question is entitled, Getting a COVID-19 vaccine doesn't mean you can connect to Bluetooth. The fact-checker behind this one was Grace Rahman, and she joins us now. Grace, good afternoon. Hello. Now, uh, it sounds ridiculous, but uh, as with all claims, they need to be fact-checked. Where did you spot those claims, uh, firstly? So these were all over Facebook. This particular one often came up with this claim going around that the vaccine makes you magnetic. So this was kind of a double whammy of my parent is magnetic and also I can now see them on my phone when I go to Bluetooth settings. So it was just a little remix of of an old favourite. And when people put these posts out, what sort of proof are they providing for this because it's not just a story they usually come with some sort of picture or some sort of quote-unquote evidence yeah so in this case someone had taken a screenshot of their bluetooth settings and they could see um, some devices that maybe they hadn't connected to before and they kind of used that to make the jump to well my parents have recently been vaccinated so this is what I can see in my sayings. Now, again, one of the common themes that we talk about uh, very often on the podcast is that all these fact checks sometimes have a an origin story, for example, something that's been misconstrued and probably an academic paper or a legal paper, something that's been taken out of context. Have you been able to find anything in these claims of people becoming Bluetooth enabled after their COVID-19 vaccine. Have you found anything that could lead you to believe, oh, I can see how someone might have got the wrong end of the stick with this one? Um, Alexis, no. I <laughs> Honestly, no. I mean, it's important to take these claims really seriously. I mean, it can be tempting to like you know, we put this tweet out and a lot of people kind of dunked on it. But I mean, the post itself that we checked had like 600 shares, like people genuinely believe this. If you read the comments, people are seriously concerned. So I mean, it's just important to us to like, take them as seriously as they're taking it and to be kind of, you know, kind and um, considerate when we're trying to explain to them why there is no basis to this at all. I mean, it all comes back to the idea that the vaccines contain um, some kind of chip, which is obviously totally false. Um, so it's kind of related to that. But no, no one's been connecting to their like home stereos or anything. It would be handy. 
I mean, I keep losing my Bluetooth enabled headphones. If I could just dispense with those and just connect to the radio without them or my phone, that would be great. Grace, uh, thank you so much for giving us your time on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Grace Rahman there, uh, who had to do the fact check in question. uh, And um, the fact check was, do people who have had their COVID-19 vaccine uh, become Bluetooth enabled? And the answer is no. Now, if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and spread the word to your friends to help stop the spread of bad information. For Fact is independent and impartial, and you can read more about our commitment to neutrality at the fullfact.org forward slash about section of our website. We'll be back at the same time next Friday morning. <laughs>